Maybe once you come to realize that there are no answers, you learn to live with the questions. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks with your hosts, me, Ramia Amudin, and Jacob Shemansky. Hello. Hello. We're in studio together today, so that's always fun. And Nisreen Abdelmajid is our trusted technical producer. We started with a quote of the day. Tell us, Jacob. You picked it. You read it. This one's from My Oxford Year by Julia Whalen. Uh, I like this one because it's a lesson that I think we all need to learn, and that's sometimes... We don't know the answers, and that's fine. That's kind of a literal interpretation of that quote, but I don't think it's deeper than that, but it is very meaningful. I think so. I I just wish we could talk to the author. I'd like to know more. Oh, my gosh. Your witch, witch, wish is our command. <laughs> because we've done really well not to tease, uh, you know, overzealously about this, but in on the inside we've been just very very giddy because we're excited to have one of our very favorite audiobook narrators on with us julia whalen today on the show she's an author she's an uh, audiobook narrator she's read and narrated over 500 books she's done so much uh not just in the audiobook realm otherwise as well her most recent book thank you for listening was a goodreads choice awards nominee for um best romance in 2022 her debut novel my oxford year garnered a society of voice arts award so there's lots going on the invisible life of adi larue which i never stopped talking about it's by v schwab but narrated by julia whalen uh is one of my favorite performances and favorite books that i've read of all times uh there's educated by tara westover Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn and The Witness by Nora Roberts, The Collector by Nora Roberts. These are just a few. The list goes on and on and on. Obviously, if we went through all 500, we'd need another episode. But she narrates her own novels as well. My Oxford Year. Thank you for listening. Being the two that we've read, the book club has read. We have people from the book club joining us on the show all the time, including Amir Khan. So we're going to get talking to her. But Jacob, is there anything else you want to add to kind of preface Julia's work before we get into it. Listen, 500 <laughs> hours or 500 books of narration work is pretty insane. Let me just put this in perspective, okay? okay. Using rough numbers, uh, for the sake of simplicity, we're going to say every book, Julia, that you've read was five hours. I know that's a lot less, but we're using conservative numbers. That's 2,500 hours of content, (laughs) roughly. There are 8,760 hours in a year. You're 39 years old, so that means you've been alive for (laughs) 361,640 hours. With these numbers, we can surmise that you've spent roughly 0.731% of your life in an audio booth. (laughs) You went full nerd on this, man. I'm so proud of you. Does that sound about accurate, Julia? And welcome. Hi. Hi. That was the best introduction I've ever had. Um, That's amazing. And uh, that just goes to show that, like, math doesn't always tell the whole story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Math is subjective. (laughs) Right. And yes, those are very exactly. conservative numbers. Like yes, your, your yeah. audiobooks on average are a lot longer than five hours. And yes, I was also not narrating like pre-verbally. So <laughs> yeah, you know, we can't average out the thirty-nine years. <laughs> yes. Right. So there's got to be some of that. Maybe next time we'll come in with a graph. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, sure. yeah, that would no be great. Graph. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been doing it about uh, 15 years now. Um, started, it's kind of been a bell curve where, like, I started with a few titles a year and then was, like, at my height doing about 70 or 80. And now I'm back down to about five. So um, it, it's a uh, it's. Yeah, I mean, mm. at this point, considering everything else that I'm I'm doing, um, but that's only in this last year. The year before that was about twenty. The year before that was about thirty, and it's it's kind of mirrored the beginning of my career um, here. So I'm not saying it's the end, mm-hmm. but um, I'm just uh, reprioritizing, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours, and you know what? As I said, narration isn't wasn't the start of it for you. You've done uh, more kind of leading up to narration. You're telling us a little bit about how the narration part has been over the last 15 years. But your first high-profile acting role was when you were cast as um, Grace Manning in ABC's Once and Again. So that was when you were 14. What was it like to transition? You don't necessarily have to go into the acting parts of it unless you want to. But from acting to narrating, what was that like? Yeah, um, I mean, I... I've never taken to anything the way I took to this job where it was just it was the thing that was best suited to my particular skill set and sensibilities. So I loved acting. I've always loved acting. I still do. It's my first love. But it's the rigor of Hollywood and the um, structures around it and also being in any way recognizable and famous was just so I, I was it. It made me ill. I was just not comfortable with giving up my anonymity for this thing that I loved. And it's not like I set out saying, hmm, how do I fix that? How do I get to act every day doing things that no one would ever let me do on camera? Um... But also be totally invisible. I could not have, like, designed this job better Mm. for me. Um, So... The transition was totally accidental, at least at that time, I think. You know, I got into it right after college, and um, it wasn't really an industry yet. I mean, there was was an industry, but it wasn't this juggernaut that it is now. And I think now there's people who actively are like, I want to be an audiobook narrator, and they go into it. But at the time, we all fell backwards into this job. Like, no one knew this was a thing you could do. And so um, that's really – that's – that's what happened with me. I took a break from on camera when I was, I went to college. And when I came back, I thought, okay, well, I'll just start acting again. Um, but the business had changed a lot and I had changed a lot and I needed something to like pay the bills. And um, this kind of fell into my lap. And then I went, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever done. I love that, this so much. That first gig, do you remember it? Yeah, sure. Felt. I remember. You always remember your first. Yeah. I um, I went to I f- the, there was a studio in Michigan. There still is a studio in Michigan, and at that time, no one had home studios. No, one, you actually had to go into studio to record. And I was given two YA novels. One, the first one was Need by Carrie Jones, and then as soon as we finished that, I just started in on Peace, Love, and Baby Ducks by Lauren Myrickle. And I've said this before, but I think like. I can credit my career to just the accident of timing, which is that at the time when I was starting, there was this boom in YA and they needed younger sounding voices. And so there I just came in and fulfilled a need. Um, Need. Isn't Mm. that funny? Mm. The first title and 
that was really what it was about. Like so many things in life, it's the right place, right time. Mm-hmm. You were just lucky to be a, a young voice at that time. You have yeah. to be thankful, right? Um, before Absolutely. we before we move on, uh, I don't think we could live with ourselves if we didn't play a clip of your work while we have you here on the show. Why not? Oh, God. Yeah, here's a clip from <laughs> my Oxford year. Okay. All the breath leaves my body. I can't seem to get it back. So here's the thing. I, I'm in England. Fine, when you get back. I get back in June. Silence. Are you consulting over there? No, I have a... I got a Rhodes and I'm doing a... Gavin Chortles. I was a roadie. I know, sir. Gavin. Gavin. What are you studying? English language and literature, 1830 to 1914. Beat. Why? Because I want to? Why does it come out as a question? You don't need it. <laughs> chills. Okay. <laughs> okay. Literal chills. <laughs> Let me just get this over with uh, before we turn okay. this into a gush session. Like, just once. Julia, your narration is so good. Yep. That's it. That's oh, it. God. It's Thank so you. good. But we can't help but notice that you're, you're cringing at having wanting, us wanting to hear your own voice here. <laughs> I know. Do well, you, no one likes the sound of their own voice. Like, I no one know. will listen to their own it voice without really going message. doesn't change, does it? Like, you kind of put um, up with it, but... I do. I mean, there's certain... I think I'll say that... Well, first of all, that book is like... That's like... This is just like trauma for me because it was the what? recording process. Well, oh. the recording process was so difficult, which we can probably get into, but I, um, I have not listened to that book since I did it. Um, and mm. there are books that I absolutely will listen to that I that I love, but I, it's because I love the book and I can kind of like divorce myself from listening mm-hmm. to myself. It's like I'm on a road trip with my husband or yeah. friends or something and I'm like, we need to listen. You need to hear this book. Um, so, you know, I'm, un- I'm comfortable with it. I just don't, I don't relish it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. It's like seeing yourself on camera. I can see myself on TV. Like I got over that a long time ago, um, but I don't like seek it out. For some reason it feels different though. Seeing yourself versus hearing yourself, at least for me. But And I want to get into that recording process of my Oxford year. But um, before that, let's go back to, just really quickly, go back to that first gig of yours. Because, I mean, obviously it's spun into the next 15 years of your life where you, yeah. where everybody uh, gets you in narration mode. So did it lock in for you that first time around? Did you have this magical moment that people think of when you think, this is it? This is the rest no. of my life. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's no. way more um, realistic. I yeah, no, I mean I'm an actor. Like I never think I'm gonna work after one job and never work again after a job is over. Mm. Like I just assume that that well, that was it. That was nice. Um I but I like I said, I, I had a creatively was like, Oh, I really like this. This is everything that I like. This is reading nice. and performing and interpretation and I really, really like this. Um and I remember thinking you know, if I could just get like a book a month just to take some of the pressure off of, you know, just L.A. and paying rent. And like I was tutoring um, and I was teaching writing and I, I was doing, you know, I was picking up screenwriting gigs and I was picking up uh, whatever, you know, guest star TV stuff would come up. But it was like if I could have the stability of maybe one book a month, that would be great. And so that was the only, only goal I think I had after that first session. One book a month. Not much to ask yeah. for. Yeah. Is that the pace you're going at now, one book a month? No, I mean, I no. The, now I don't know. Now it's just, it's like I w- I've been writing a book this whole last year, so I was really pushing a lot of work off. And um, 
I think also, you know, books are deceptive. It's kind of like what you were doing with the math at the beginning of hours. I think that's that's really right. Like we need to start thinking of things as hours, not um, not titles, because, mm-hmm. you know, even right. when I was doing 70 books a year, like some of the, a lot of those were romance. So they were maybe dual narration. So my sections were maybe four hours as opposed to, you know, like I would I, I had a, um, you know, whenever I have like a fantasy novel scheduled or something and it's going to be 20 finished hours it's that's four books (laughs) yeah and tell us a little bit about that um because i don't think people often think about the insights under a five hour book as we know it when it's on audible Mm -hmm. is it five hours of recording Right. So no, no, it's at least two to one just in the studio. Two to so, one. Wow. Yeah. So for the purposes of this recording, is I mean, a I, professional. I tend to be efficient. Like my, my mind can sometimes be like one and a half to one. But also just, you know, the time, the breaks, if I'm counting breaks of getting out of the booth and stretching yeah, yeah. and filling my grumbling stomach and things like that, um, it's two to <laughs> one. Naps. But then there's, yeah, but then there's all the prep involved, which is reading the book ahead of time and doing all of the research. And that's about another two to that's so at the end of the day, it's about four to one. So the number, the however long the audiobook ends up being, I've spent about four times as long on it. That's wow. huge. That's and, a lot of time. And we complain at yeah. the price of audiobooks on, right? on Audible. I know, <laughs> I know. And I, just I get the narrator's it. process. Wow. I get it. And, you know, and, and I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of problems with the, with the industry and the way that we do this. I don't know why we ever started on a finished hour model um, because it's not indicative of the work because it makes you start selecting projects where if I'm not getting paid for research time and I'm not getting, you know, I'm I'm going to pass on the books that look like they're going to be nightmares mm. <laughs> to prep, you know. Um, so, yeah. And now you're doing that. But was there a time when you were taking everything that came your way? Yes, of course. Again, the the actor thing I'm talking about, you say yes, you say yes to everything. And that's how I that's how I burned out. Um, yeah, that's grueling. I mean, that's that's the part where it it was about seven years into the job, I think, where until I, I realized, I was like, I think I can say no, and they'll come back to me the next time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, but it took, it was seven years. And to be fair, when you're first starting out, I mean, so much of this industry is depend, it functions on reliability, which I think a lot of jobs do. But there's the sense of People want to know that if they offer you something, you respond to them, you get back in a timely manner, you get the job done. And if you start saying no too often, they just they'll move on to the next person because they'll just assume you're not available. Right. Mm. And so I always say this to people who are who want to start out, but they also want to keep a day job or they're acting and they're like, well, yeah, but if I get if I get like a movie, I'm going to leave for three months. And I was like, well, yeah, you, you not really like you can't really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also try to do this full time. This leads nicely into a question one of our book club members uh, asked for you. Uh, this is Amir Khan asking, what does your process for selecting books to narrate look like? Um, it's, well, like I said, I used to just say yes to everything. It's, uh, it's changed now. It's still very much schedule-based um, that I try, and now I'm just trying not to over-schedule myself. And that's been going on since since my Oxford year, actually, because I almost... Um, had a breakdown <laughs> trying to write that book while recording. And I told myself that if I was, when I wrote my second book, I wouldn't do it under those conditions again. So I limited myself to two finished hours a day. Um, and 
So for me, it's like there's only so much work I can put into that schedule. I obviously prioritize authors that I'm I've done all their books. Like if Taylor has a book out or Emily, like I'm going to prioritize people who um, I have that standing relationship with. Um, And honestly, if something just comes into my inbox and it looks like something I would want to read, uh, I'm I'm keen to do it. And, you know, it's very it's a very personal thing. Like sometimes I'll just feel like I've done too much romance. I'd love to do a domestic thriller. I, you know, or I'm going to pass on something because I just don't want to be there emotionally Mm. for however long it takes to record because that's a real thing too, you know, um, based on subject matter. Um, That's fair. So, yeah. Do you have time to read outside of reading? No. <laughs> well, this look, is your full I, time and your I mean, yeah, look, it's this is changing again because I'm doing fewer books, but I'm now, as a writer, asked to blurb a lot of books, and I never get to all of those requests. I try, but I that's that doesn't happen very often. Um, and then depending on the projects that I'm writing or working on or producing, like there's always a lot of attendant reading around that for research or um, so I don't. Every once in a while, I'll be able to squeeze in, you know, 10 minutes before my eyes close at night, uh, you know, um, just slowly, slowly work my way through a book. But it's yeah. it's tough. Yeah. My Oxford Year was one of the two books that you both wrote and narrated or authorated. Authorated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. I like that. Yeah. We're trying to yeah. make it a thing. Yeah. Make it a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that it was a it was difficult to record that one. Why was my Oxford year so difficult to record? And what differentiates a book that's easy to narrate and difficult to narrate? Oh, good question. So um, this was just a perfect storm of things. First of all, the book objectively, like if someone had just, if it had come from someone else and it was being offered to me, it would have been difficult because first person present is difficult because the everything's immediate and the emotions are very on the surface and you're very in the character's head. So it's really like a 12-hour performance. Mm. Um, it's also one American and 13 Brits. And f- just technically flipping between those is, uh, yeah. is challenging. And I worked with an accent coach on that one because I was like, we need to come up with 13 distinct characters. Wow. Like, I can't just do my passable, like, British accent here. I really want a the full one cast. one yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then I think so technically, like just objectively, the book was tough. Um, but then I was in that debut author imposter syndrome phase where I everything was just kind of happening to me. And I was like, oh, we're recording the audiobook now. Uh, OK. <laughs> and I would read this and be like, this is who wrote this? Like, this sentence is terrible. <laughs> and I would, you know, I was editing as I was going. I could not turn off the editor brain. And so I had a completely different experience of that book in the booth where I was just like, OK, well, that's done. Um and I've been very pleasantly surprised that people like it. Oh, it's such a great <laughs> book. So what you're sense. telling us, you were legitimately editing the writing as you were narrating? To, I mean, to, I, to, a, to a certain extent. Like, I got through about two days of doing that. Um, you know, little stuff, like copy edit stuff, line edit stuff. Yeah. And I sent the notes. I would send notes every day to my editor. And finally, after about two days, she was like... You, this is not how we do things. You can't do this anymore. <laughs> no. Like it's locked. The text I was like, the is privileges locked. Privileges of being the authorator. Yeah, no, it was. She was like, right. "Don't, don't do this." Okay. And um, I, I was like, "Okay, but what about typos? If I find typos, that's okay, right?" And she said, "Yes, but you can't at this point. Like, we're 
we're past this. And did they budge at all? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, there were some things that were just technically, like, wrong. Like, continuity issues were wrong. Mm. Um, But in my, like, I can improve this sentence, no, they were like, stop. Don't do this. Okay, so here's my question then. When you were writing the book, did you not hear yourself? Yeah, like, you'd be shocked to know. That I never do that. I cannot, even this last thing, this which I'm sure we'll talk about, but the thing I've just finished now, which is specifically written for audio, Uh I did not think about how it was going to be in audio until about a week before I recorded. And same thing with thank you for listening. And it's because I think the thing to understand about me is, like, first and foremost, I'm a writer. Mm. And that was always there before this job was there. And so I'm always thinking of a book as a book. Um, That said, part of my editorial process has always been reading things out loud, but not from a performance view, just for like, does this sound musical? Mm. Yeah. Like, am I repeating words? Am I, are these sentences clunky? Like, you know, that's part of my revision process, but I'm never making, I'm never thinking about performance choices when I'm doing that. I'm more focused on the writing. That's fascinating to me. I hope you don't mind me saying that because it sounds no, like I mean, a compartmentalization thing, right? Like, yeah, you're just mm-hmm. totally, you know, you finish the book and then you're like, oh, now we got to read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and get yes. back into the process. But then while you're in the process of reading or narrating the book you wrote, you're also like, well, can we tweak the writing a little, you know, yeah, going and back it to the writer self? Inevitably what happens is like as I get to this point where – I am getting ready to record or I'm recording or something like that. And then I am doing someone else's book at the same time or the week before or after or something. I always just have this moment where I sit back and I'm like, God, this is nice. Like to not even be thinking about the book or the writing, to just be in someone else's hands. Just like, good for you. You figured (laughs) you you wrote a book. You wrote a book. <laughs> and like that. all I have to do is read it. This exactly. is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's like a whole different um, mode, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about reading your own books back at yourself that makes you rethink everything, right? Right? Yeah. I mean, when I used to direct audiobooks a lot and I would do some author reads occasionally and, you know, especially when they're not trained narrators, it always takes people by surprise how difficult it is. For a number of reasons. And um, they're just, I think something happens too in the recording process. It's like for me and for the the authors I used to work with, that's sort of the moment when you realize other people are going to be consuming this. Mm. And so sometimes, particularly for like memoirs, um, it can be, that's where you start to feel like overexposed. Um mm. And it kind of hits like the truth finally settles in that other people are going to read this or listen to this. Yeah, because you're not necessarily actively thinking about that the entire time. I think that would be, no. you know, sabotaging. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. Male characters. You want to talk a little bit? Yeah. About, everybody has questions about you doing male characters. You do a stellar job. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I know my husband has this joke because he, he does voice. He has a lovely voice, like mm-hmm. a great voice. And he was always the one who would, you know, people would be like, oh, my God, can you just say that again? And he's like, he's like, now no one cares. No one cares. They just want you. They just want you to uh, do your me impression. Oh, wow. Um, uh, but I, I'm very, uh, you know, that also was a learning process. Um, I think when I first started doing it, especially romance, and you would have these kind of alpha guy and you know 
you want to be as deep as possible. Like that's what it is. And I would I would just kill myself. I would like tear my voice apart to try to go as low as possible. Mm. And I would listen back and be like, I don't even hear it. Like I don't even hear all the all the effort that went oh, into man. that. And um and I think two things happened. One is my natural register just shifted lower as I got older and as this this job put a lot of miles <clears throat> as I clear my throat, sorry. <laughs> this job put a lot of miles on my on my voice. So my lower register is more accessible. But I think the main thing is that there was just in my head there was a shift where I realized that performance, all that matters is the performance. And like treat them like I would treat any any other character. Uh just perform them. Don't try to be a guy. Right. And um and I've had this talk, actually I was talking with uh romance, my co-narrator for the next thing, who's a romance like god. And he said, I'm so sick of hearing like people saying I would rather listen to Julia do guy voices than <laughs> be with the guys. And I was like, it's very simple. Um I know how to murmur. And I feel like a lot of men, they come to the mic in a very presentational sort of way. And sometimes it can just be like, I'm shouting into your ear hole. And um, and I was just like, I don't, it's just, it's a seduction, mm. if that makes sense. Like, I don't, I don't know, um, I, this is a bad answer to this. But the point is, it's a combination of just feeling like this is a character and I want to do him justice. I want him to feel fully realized and uh, give him as much as many levels and as much latitude as I would any other character. Mm. And, um, and yeah, just being sexy, I guess. I <laughs> yeah, not screaming. <laughs> well, this is, yeah. this is a very specific question, but how do you physically do your, your male voices? I don't know. At this point, I don't think anything happens. Like, like I said, I used to really, you know, and it, it sounded bad. It sounded like an imitation right, of something. Right. Um, and it's very, that's very annoying to me. If I could go back and like bonfire the first, I don't know, four years or something of my career when I was trying to do that, um, that would be great. I would love to do that. Oh, um, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't think anything really physically changes. It's just a very mm-hmm. accessible part of my range now. That's cool. And But when you're recording, by the way, do you uh, have a director, somebody working with you? Is it just your own process? Typically, um, yeah. Typically, no, there's no director. Um, on very few projects, there's there's a director. Okay. But usually it's just me talking to myself and then uploading the files to an editor who will listen along and send me back any corrections mm. that need to be made. But I don't have any immediate uh, feedback. And you talked about taking breaks and stretching and eating and <laughs> all that stuff during studio sessions. Do you know at this point how long you can go before tapping out of a, of a studio session? Or do you say, like, I have to put in eight hours? And what is eight uh, hours? No, Jeez. I mean, yeah, I don't, um, at this point, like I said, I, I just limit myself to two finished hours a day. Okay. Um, unless something's gone wrong, like unless, you know, I've been sick and I've got to make up or catch up or something, Mm. but that's, that's my goal. And I usually will take a break. It seems to be about 45 minutes to an hour. I mean, honestly, it's oxygen becomes the problem. Like the booths are are so, at least mine is very small and, um, you just need air at a certain point. Uh, otherwise I would probably just keep going. Yeah. Yeah, Cause you can't have a ventilator in there. It's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, There's like a. 
There's a quote-unquote a fan, but... Um, <laughs> a so-called feeble. fan. Yes, yeah. yeah, so allegedly, <laughs> but um, it's it's feeble. Because um, for, for Jacob and I, who uh, have low vision slash are blind, we use a screen reader. And particularly the way I read verbatim is by screen reader in my ears and then reading out loud. So there is oh, a wow. point where I feel fatigued, like I can't hear things anymore. You know, like screen reader saying mm-hmm. something, but I may as well be just talking gibberish or hearing gibberish. And I wondered if you can experience oh, that fatigue. absolutely. Or, yeah. Or if you stop no. before then because you know when it's going to hit. I mean, well, again, this is part of the limiting it to two finished hours a day. Like I would when I was, again, doing that kind of volume mm-hmm. before, I would I would sometimes have to do four finished hours a day. And then that's when not having a director is a real liability because I'd get to the end of the day and be like, I don't even know what I just said. Like, <laughs> exactly. Did I, where is the emphasis in that sentence? <laughs> yeah. Like what what was word am I even trying to hit? Yeah. 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 Um, and so... Yes, for sure. I mean, that's, again, a muscle that you kind of develop. I remember when I was first starting, Mm. you know, at the end of the day, I would just be exhausted, exhausted as if I'd like done something physical. And um, it's just your eyes and your ears and your brain being like, go lay down. Yeah. You're done. We're done. Exactly. Um, So, yeah. We're here with Julia Whalen, authorator, author, narrator, actress. She's doing a lot. She's telling us all about it. We talked a lot with you, Julia, about your process of recording, um, a little bit about your career coming into it. Do we want? Where do you want to go next, Jacob? Do you want to talk about her love for romance or get to a book club question? Yeah, let's start with the question about the romance genre. I, I think you have some strong feelings about this genre based on... Uh, well, the fact that you've written two romance books, but also in Thank You for Listening, um, there's one quote that I found pretty interesting. Uh, for context, this quote is told from an author in the book, June French, that is uh, the main character's idol, favorite author. It goes, of course there should be a happily ever after. I'm so sick of this question. It's a romance. That's the deal we make with our readers. It's misogyny, plain and simple. You don't see anyone telling mystery readers that they're silly and unserious for wanting to know who the murderer was at the end. <laughs> F off. <laughs> yeah. That kind of says yeah. it all, no? Yes. And more to that, uh, Swanee, the main character, also has strong opinions saying that happily ever afters are unrealistic and that the men in romance novels are fantasy men, as she calls them. And she doesn't say that in a good way. Like, right. And you've written two romance books. So my question is, why do you write romance? And what is romance, in your opinion, at its best? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I love the genre. It's the one that I, when, as we were talking about in terms of elective reading time, it's the mm-hmm. one I will always go to. Um, and I, I mean, part of it was for me, I, Swanee is sort of like, this she was me maybe seven years ago, where I was burned out on recording romance, and I was just like, you know, nothing in life is going right, and all I'm dealing with is an aging grandparent and like death and dying, and like I don't want to don't don't give me this like we're just gonna magically everything's gonna be fine, and you know I don't want to hear it, um, and but I think that there's a character in there who says that like it's romance novels are kind of a leap of faith. And that they give you that sense of of everything is going to be fine. And sometimes when life isn't, you want that 
comfort and security and safety. So the denigration of them is something that is incredibly irritating to me. And I mean, it's obviously in line with the way that we denigrate anything that Mm. women seem to be interested in. Um, But there's that that genre too as a category has like exploded in so many ways and now there's so many different types and i still think that people are stuck in this kind of like mid 90s understanding of it where they only see fabio on the cover and like that type of book and now we have everything from you know rom-coms which i guess is sort of what i write in to you know very specific types of um kink Or different types of relationships or like there's – it's such a broad category now. And at the end of the day, it is just about being seen by someone and feeling love. And I just don't understand how that's – that needs to be criticized. Right. Like how (laughs) is that a bad thing? How is that a bad thing? I mean people love true crime podcasts or something and I don't understand that. But like I'm not out here being like I don't understand how these people could like think about killers all day. Like what is wrong with them? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's that's my that's my feeling about it and I I wrote the next thing, um the third project is a died in the wool romance, like a proper my first two books are kind of closed door um and they're rom-coms but with kind of complicated subject matter Mm -hmm. um and they're marketed as romances i didn't write them as romances that's the way they were that you know i wrote them as just the novels that they needed to be but this next one is a is a proper romance although my co-narrator will say it's really more erotic fiction that happens to have an hea Ah. so i may i may have also screwed that one up i don't know But yeah. When's it coming out? Do you want to tell us now or can you? Um, yeah, so I'm I'm doing it myself. Um, I'm using it. I'm doing it on my own um, platform that I just started called Audiobrary, which is going – it's an audio publishing company and app. And um, I'm doing it as episodes the way I wrote it. And thank you for listening. It's the book within a book from Thank You for Listening. Mm. Sorry, I should have said that. It's the book that they're recording in Thank You for Listening. Um, which was a ridiculous premise that would simply not let me go. Wow. Um, I, I created this thing just off the top of my head, which was a second chance romance with a gigolo descended from Casanova. And um, it was so absurd that I had to try to make it as realistic as possible. And <laughs> I did. And now I'm like, this is so, it's so great. <laughs> I thought it was so brilliant that it's like yes. in thank you for listening. You're like low key promoting your next book, yeah. like accidentally. Without like, even I know accidentally, what, exactly. I want to know what happens in Casanova. You promoted too. it so much that you couldn't. I not couldn't say write no. It. Yeah, um, I I was just like someone should really write this, and uh, I guess it should be me. So um, I'm the first episode is coming out on Valentine's Day. Actually, um, that it's is fun. happening oh, fast because yeah, because I can do it uh, again. That was the way it was, and thank you for listening. And um, it's all a big experiment, but this one I'm doing as a uh, kind of um, radio drama sort of thing where there's four actors on it, and we're doing. Uh, duet narration now because we are talking about your writing put this to rest for us please because in the Mm -hmm. writer's notes of thank you for listening you tell us that a lot of friends think your novels are memoirs and you said no definitely not uh but there are some similarities between you and the main characters but you do use the term auto fiction so explain what you're saying yeah so um i think we can i think maybe i will finally stop being 
uh, at, accused of this because I don't think anyone thinks that the second chance romance with a gigolo descended from Casanova <laughs> is in any way autofiction. Uh, okay. I might have actually written a book that has nothing to do with me. Maybe that's why I like it so much. Mm. Um, we'll but see. I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that my Oxford year was a kind of total accident um, where I was actually, that book came about because I was hired to work on a screenplay that was set in Oxford. It was a kind of love story set in Oxford. And because I had gone to Oxford and I I was hired to work on this screenplay and I ended up falling in love with the story and wanted to change a lot about it. And they were like, the producers were like, well, no, this is, this is the story. Um, But they got to know my opinions and they said, do you think there's a book here? And I said, oh, my God, nothing has ever wanted to be a book more. Mm. Um, But you've got to let me tell the story that I want to tell. And so that's how that came about, where that was not, for me, that was a book about, it had a lot of my own personal feelings about grief um, at that time and where I was at in my life. But I, Ella, to me, I guess this has been the case with both of my heroines. I look back, I think they're me at different stages of my life. So the way that Ella is grappling with what is it that I want to do in life and what is my this dream that I've been pursuing uh, my entire life and putting all of my energy toward that, Mm. is that still what I want to do? Was about me at her age as opposed to me when I was writing it. And with Thank You for Listening, I think that the sort of life didn't go as planned very jaded sort of thing, needing to accept that, like, a chapter of your life is closed. Um, that's Swanee, again, like, five years prior to the me to when I was writing the book. So in that way, it's autofiction in that I think that the subject matter is something I'm very familiar with and the character's journey is something I'm very familiar with, but I fictionalize liberally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you're channeling parts of you, I guess, is fair to say, at different points, at least after you've gone through it so you can reflect back on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we promised to get to some of the book club questions, and we we've did. only People read one so far. Um, I'm sorry, go. Yeah, let's move on to that. Uh, <laughs> this question is from Sharon Johnston. It's Sharon. This is so exciting. You are one of my favorite authors <laughs> slash narrators. I would like to ask you what genre of books you like reading, and what are some of your favorite books? Sharon. Oh, man. Well, okay. So, I mean, I think, you know, romance are my go-tos, but my favorite books of all time— I'm kind of all over the map. Like, it's all started with The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle by mm-hmm. Avi. Um, and then Persuasion by Jane Austen. Middlemarch by George Eliot, which I wrote about in my Oxford year. And then the the list of, honestly, of romance is, like, way too hard to go down. But I, for historical, I love Loretta Chase. For contemporary, I really do love Emily Henry. Uh, but there's so many. There's so many. And what attracts you to the, those specific books? Voice. voice. I really do think it comes down to voice. Um, huh. I mean, I think that it's it's just when an author's take is so clear on the page and you just feel like you're reading a person. Amir Khan, I mentioned him already. He's a uh, contributor on the show as well as um, just an avid audiobook worm. So he says, he's sent us a bunch of questions. Let's get to at least a couple uh, how do you prepare for reading an audiobook? Do you read it first, speak to the author, just go for it? Um, you talked a 
bit about this already, but the author part is interesting. You know, do you yeah. experience a lot I'll go of into the research. Authors? I'll go into the research part of this. Yeah. So when I'm reading, I'm keeping two lists. And one is a word list of words I don't know how to pronounce. And sometimes they're real, word, real words, but sometimes they're author invention. Mm. And then I'm keeping a character list with any vocal descriptors that the author may give their characters. Um, and then I've got to compile this, like, research question, and sometimes I'm put directly in touch with the author, and sometimes it's just working its way through an email chain of, like, audio producer, back to editor, back to author's agent, back to author, and then trickling all the way back to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but, yeah, with some authors at this point, who, especially who I have a relationship with, there's kind of, like, I mean... Addie LaRue is a very good example where I had not met V before that book, but she really wanted me for that book, and I really wanted to do it justice. And so we got on Skype, um, and I was like, here are my questions, because I don't know how to do this exactly, so let's figure it out mm. together. Um, because with that book, it was like, how do I track... Do we want to give her a French accent, first of all? Like, do we want the French characters to sound French when technically she's French? But um, to an American or English-speaking listener, how's that going to sound? And then we want to soften her accent over time, which would be fine if the book were linear. But because it's, it goes back and forth yeah. in two timelines, I had kind of like an actor insecurity moment where I was like, people are going to think I can't hold a French accent. <laughs> That's fair. And, That's a great and, point. That's so fair. Wow. And she, we talked it out and we decided, you know, just how far I would go on, like, the strength of it in the beginning to just how light it would be at the end. And then I just had to get my ego out of the way and be like, you know what? I trust the reader. I trust the listener to yep. know what I'm doing here. And well, not to mention, like, she already wanted you for the gig. So she was like, yeah, you're it, right? So whatever process yeah. you went through, you Yeah, but I wanted to clear that. that with her. That was not a big, that yeah. was not a swing I wanted to take without mm. clarifying with her. Because if she were like, no, 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 I see this as just totally just neutral the whole time, um, mm. then I would have taken that into consideration. Right. Okay. We actually reviewed that book on this show a couple of months ago. Yeah, I'm a diehard fan. <laughs> yeah, me too. And uh, me yeah, too. if I remember correctly, you you perform Addy with just a very very light French accent, right? If I, I mean, at the beginning, very in light. the uh, in the Vion sections, she's she's a French country girl, and mm -hmm. everyone around her is French. And she goes when she goes to Paris, everyone's still French. But it starts to. I had her. I chose to have it start to lessen when she leaves the geographical borders of France. So when she goes to, I mean, she's in Germany at one point, she like certain, and then every, by the time she gets to America, it starts really softening. Okay. Uh, another question from Amir, and I think this has a lot of underlying context. You'll get it. It says, would you consider a trip to Toronto to feature as a mm -hmm. setting for one of your future books? <laughs> that would be nice. Of course. Yeah, would you? Okay. Of course. I totally would. I have not actually been to Toronto it's what? a huge failing of mine. I know. I've been, spent time in Montreal and I spent time career. in Vancouver and I've never gone to Toronto. Oh my gosh. There's going to be so much beef mm. now within Canada. I know. I, but I want to. Okay, good. Be, uh. <laughs> <laughs> soon. It, she hasn't yeah, come soon. to Toronto yet. Yet. But mm -hmm. I will. Mm -hmm. Question from Ryan Huey. My favorite performance by you is from Bluff. How do you prepare mm. for roles like this one? God, it seemed like it was fun yet very difficult. Is oh, there a yeah, routine that you sorry, do? Sorry, I'm talking to get over you. Sorry. Pumped up? 
<laughs> I'm pumped up. Can you tell I'm pumped up? Yes. Um, so, okay, that book is, yeah, that's difficult, but in the best way. Like, that's one of those books where I don't, I wish, God, I, I, I talk about that book all the time. Yeah. I love it so much. Two great characters. Um, which you don't see a lot for women. And I think one of the things that I love about what Michael Cardos did in that book is, like, he took a kind of sting or, like, any of the, like, Newman and Redford movies and then, like, made it for women. And I just, I love that book so much. Um, And so difficult. uh, Sorry, repeat the question. I got so excited that someone knew Bluff. Sorry, repeat the question. Uh, he asks, uh, do you have any techniques for uh, pumping yourself up for preparing? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it, when a book, when a book is that good. Yeah. No, when a book is that good, I'm just so excited to get in the booth. Okay. But do you ever have routines? Like, do you have, like, vocal warm-up yeah, routines warm and up. all these other things? Yeah, 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 sure. I'll warm up. Um, I also, <laughs> I do this thing Sounds where like I, like... Sounds the people. No, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do. I mean, I, I again, this is like a, a funny thing that I have with certain with narrators because I'm very protective of my voice. I drink a ton yeah. of water, a ton of tea. I don't go out in places where I would have to shout like I'm I'm crazy. And then there are other people who are just like smoking in between takes. And I'm, that's what I wrote in to thank you for listening. She's like, well, could you put the cigarette out, please? Yeah. It's like we're trying to do a job. That's where your friends um, like it's personal. Yeah, exactly. That's where they're like, I know who that is. Um, but I, uh, I, so for me, yeah, I'll do vocal exercises in in a ritual sort of way. Um, for certain books, I've started kind of pairing tea with the book because the smell and the taste of certain teas is kind of like a sense memory thing. It's the way an oh, actor wow. would be like, I, I don't know the character until I'm in their shoes, you know, that kind yeah, of yeah. feel. Huh. Um, so I, I sometimes will do that. It makes sense, though, and especially when you're doing this as work, right? Not just, you know, like one book at a time. Um, and Ryan's next question kind of alludes to this also. He says, uh, also, one of my favorite series is the Magnitude series, which has you performing in several books. What's the mindset like returning to this world after most likely reading so several books between different genres? That's such a good question. Yeah, yeah exactly. Series series are hard, so I keep a I keep a running like folder on my desktop in my booth of of uh, all character voices, any character. Like, there's this ongoing fantasy series that I do, the Black Witch series, and that's been now, I don't I don't even know, seven, eight years. And I have just everything, every character that is spoken, even if they don't have a name, because I'd never know if she's going to bring them back. I have a character list of clips of mm. their voices. Um, right. I will often go back and, like, read the end of the last book to kind of get back into it. Um, but, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, yeah so our, our friend Comedy asks, uh, do you keep track of how many voices and accents you do per book? And how do you keep them organized? No, in terms of numbers, no, I don't I don't keep track of that. I have a character list, like an actual document like that I'm always that I'm yeah, like a spreadsheet that mm-hmm. I refer to. And then I've got the vocal clips whenever I establish a character. I oh. clip it and save it so that I can refer to it. Because even even if you're not talking about a series and like a year later, even if you're just talking about a day later when a when a character comes back in after you've done 20 other characters, I need to sometimes have the refresher. Mm. Uh, Kamini also asks, going back to my Oxford year and to the research side of things, did you have the chance to visit Oxford or was the detail around the descriptions you were getting from the university? I was thinking the same thing for the amount of books that you referenced. 
this is my part of the question. Also, by the way. that was mm-hmm. a question by uh, Ariana on my part. Oh, sorry, Ariana. Okay, my bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Ari asks that question, and the the second part, which is my addition to the question, which is you know all the books that you referenced were these. The, like, how did you get to referencing all the books that were being mentioned and thrown around throughout the book? Yeah. So, um, well, Oxford was, so I, I spent a year in Oxford. So I knew Oxford very well, but I knew it circa 2006, 2007. And when I was in final edits for the book, I had a chance to go back. And the city had changed a bit, which was surprising to me. And so I had to rewrite some of the physical descriptions of of the setting and the place. Um, for the books, yeah, they're all stuff that I read. In fact, I'm doing a an anthology collection of the poetry in my Oxford year. It's coming out on the sixth anniversary, which is April um, 24th, oh, cool. again on my on Audiobrary. And it's it'll just be walking through why I chose the poems that I chose at the beginning of each chapter and. Um, where I mean, those were all things I was studying and reading when I was at Oxford. So it was a very personal connection to to that book. The descriptions of Oxford in my Oxford year are brilliant. The way oh, you describe you. the classrooms and uh, the place where um, where the main character lives during the time with the really really steep staircases and the yeah. pubs with the weird privacy booths. It seems so yes. alien, but it really felt like I was there. It was one of my favorite parts of that book. Yeah. Oh, thank you, um, thank you. I okay. may- Oh, sorry, you go ahead. Rich. Yeah, because you have your list of uh, fun questions I want to end off on. But before that, one more question from Ryan. I'm curious about this too. Do you review your own ro- work, like listen back to your own stuff and critique yourself? Or oh. do you have a process where you send off a critique to, you know, people that you trust? And also, how are you with feedback? You've been oh, doing this forever now. Great question. That's a good question. Um, so, yeah, I when it's a book that's coming from a publisher, it's not, you know, something I'm producing or doing myself. But when it's a book that's come from the publisher, I send files off to them and they are the ones that proof it and come back. And But those are only for corrections, like things I just blatantly got wrong. I very rarely will get like uh, character notes or feedback. Like at that point, it's kind of too late. The book's been recorded. So that's why I try to establish everything I can up front. Like I will send a 15 minute sample to um, publishers before I start rolling just to be like, speak now or forever hold your peace kind of thing. <laughs> um, so I'm very open to feedback. I mean, I had uh, Abby Jimenez. Um, I did part of your world for her a couple of years ago, and I got the dog voice wrong. Like, I didn't realize that the dog was based on um, her dog, and that dog has a very specific baying sound that it makes that I was I was not familiar with. And so she sent back to being like, I'm so sorry, but could you please do it more like this? Mm. And oh, it's one of no. my funniest pickup stories in the booth because I was just sitting there and having to, like, do this howl. <laughs> I was like, sure, that's... How many did you have to retake? I mean, that dog talks a lot in that book. And the problem is that Zach Weber, my co-narrator on that, has narrated a lot of her books and knew that dog. So he got it right. So oh, I had out. to, like, match what he was doing. And yeah. I was like, well, okay. okay. No one told me that. I did not know. That was information I did not have. What a weird job. <laughs> it's such a weird job. It's such a weird job. Yeah, I have a list of, Remy, I call them fun questions. I, I wrote it down in the script as Jacob's stupid questions. Uh, <laughs> fun. They're fun. Okay. Do you sit down or stand up when you record? Sit. Okay. Mm. I was wondering because in Thank You for Listening, the characters are standing up when they record. Yeah, when they're recording in the studio. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people do. Some people have their studios oriented that way. Um, But for me, I just, I can't, I can't stand for that long. 
Do you ever get the yips? Like, what specific oh. things in text, like, trips you up? I think when characters talk, like, not clear who's talking, that'll trip me up. Like, when they take out oh. too many dialogue tags where it's unclear, um, mm. that'll trip me up. Uh, sometimes there's a really syntactically challenging sentence or something, but um, I've never had, like, there are certain days where I've just been like, I don't feel like performing today. I will not be bringing my all to this book, and then oh. I will just... Like, send a note being like, uh, sorry, like, my dog ate my homework kind of note, and, like, I'll get back to it tomorrow. Um, but that's just a consideration for the book, honestly. Yeah, but that's fair, though. Do you walk away and come back to things? Like, yeah. if, you know, if it hasn't been your... Yeah, or I do a hours. scene where, like, maybe it was, like, super emotional, and it was really emotional for me mm-hmm. in the booth, but then I'm like, I feel like that was too much. Like, I feel like that just, I feel like that went too far. And there's there's always that actor conversation where it's like, yeah, but if I was feeling it, then it was mm-hmm. authentic. And it's like, yeah, but if they can't understand what you were saying, then that <laughs> <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. So yeah. I'll often revisit something. Julia, do you speed up your books when you're listening? <laughs> I, I don't. Um... I used to have very strong opinions about this, and uh, I've I've mellowed with age. Who's mellowed um, you? <laughs> well, research mellowed me, okay. which is that I used to be like, don't ever listen above one because that's how the narrator intended it to be done, mm-hmm. and like I want to hear how they wanted to perform it. But then I've seen so many people say I didn't like audiobooks until I could, you know, I have ADHD or something, and mm-hmm. by clicking up the speed, it now matches the speed of my brain. Yep. And I went okay. Never mind. I'm done bitching about this. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think that's yeah. uh, something that I'll add to my argument as well about why I speed up books. Thank you. How would you yeah. feel if I told you that Ramya listened to my invisible life, the invisible life of <laughs> Abby Larue at one point seven two? two. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. That's not fine. Two point five freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> two point no. five is like you're not retaining anything. No, you're not. Like please, and, just this is just information coming in. You see, I've yeah. slowed down over the years because I genuinely felt that I wasn't retaining anything, even though I was getting yeah. through the books in the at the pace I wanted to. Because of the, you know, also, like, that's a thing that's changed in the industry. Thing. I will say, yeah. when I first started, I would have a lot of directors back when. I was going in studio and was directed a lot of being like, you need to slow down. Like, audiobooks work at this pace. And I remember kind of rejecting that, being like, but yeah, but people don't listen at that pace. And I think we've, as a society, things have just gotten faster. I mean, I feel old now where I, like, look at a TikTok video and I'm like, that happened so fast. Like, I don't know what happened. (laughs) And um, and I think that, like— Yeah, that's no, true. Why? Yeah, we can push it down. It'll speed can you it up. slow it down? No, speed it up. Why are we trying to slow oh it down? Anyways, gosh. I feel like we're not on the same page anymore. Let's wow. not end on this road. Um, <laughs> oh. Julia, Julia, thank you so much. Um, You're so welcome. This has been an absolute fantastic conversation. We've been so looking forward to it ever since you said yes to coming on the show. So we appreciate it. We appreciate you taking our questions, uh, our book club questions. Everyone's hyped as hell. And, uh, of course, we're just telling us so much more about yourself. We love it. Oh, sure. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. was a blast. Julia Whalen joining us on AMI Audiobook Review. You know, keep this in your favorite episode ever because it was a lot of fun. Before we go, of course, we got to shout out Sila and give you the featured titles on their homepage at the Center for Equitable Library Access, C-E-L-A-Library.ca. The three featured titles up there are The Mystery Guest, Molly Made Number 2 by Nita Prose, Suspense and Thrillers title, Oath and Honor by Liz Cheney, Politics, Government, Biography. And the last one up there is The Bill Murrays by Jen Arden, Gentle Mysteries. There you go. Three books you can check out at celalibrary.ca. That's it for us. Next week, we are chatting with Sarah Hillis, a super interesting topic on the rise of 
multi-voiced narration. That's right, on that's Know Your Narrator. definitely a trend that's popped up. Yeah, yeah. I'm, in, yep. I'm really looking forward to that one. It's everywhere, exactly. Plus, we're going to talk to Natasha Peters, an avid audiobook worm, and that means rapid-fire review. Woo-hoo. You can call us, 1-866-509-4545, for your feedback, your questions, and everything else you want to give to AMI Audiobook Review. I'm Ramia Amadin with Jacob Shymansky and Nisreen Abdel-Majid. Until next episode, happy audiobook listening. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.